entering the Freedom Hut. LeBron James takes a knee against the freedom of expression, the First Amendment. We'll get into that. Plus, the leaky impeachment inquiry. ABC News airs fake war footage. And Attorney General Barr, religious freedom warrior. We have that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me. Thank you so much for joining today. Oh, my, we have a lot going on. The Democrat debate is tonight. So that's exciting for some people. (laughs) I don't even know if it's exciting for the Democrats. But I'll be watching. I'll be live tweeting. A combination of insight and snark. So there's that to look forward to. We have a couple of big news stories breaking today. Uh, We have... I left this out of our little open there, but we found Hunter Biden, or rather one of the broadcast networks, I think it's ABC, found yeah, uh, found Hunter Biden, and he's not doing himself any favors. We'll discuss that. We'll hear a bit from Hunter himself. Oh, the, the, most, the most wayward of, of Bidens, it would seem, Hunter Biden. Uh, but the one thing that's gotten everybody really... Fired up today is this LeBron James situation. Now, I'm sure all of you know without me telling you, but just to put it in the proper context, LeBron James is arguably the best basketball player who has ever lived. Some of the Michael Jordan fans out there are booing right now, but you know what I mean. LeBron James is a big deal. The guy is certainly worth hundreds of millions of dollars, probably already close to, if not surpassing, a billion dollars. He is a global sports icon, and he was really anointed as one of the biggest athletes, most important athletes in the world back when he was in high school. And he lived up to those expectations, which usually doesn't seem to be the case. So LeBron James is somebody who has a tremendous audience, a huge platform, is wealthy beyond any normal person's wildest imagination. He's also someone who is woke. He's an individual who, depending on the day, will share his thoughts on politics, uh, particularly issues that deal with, say, police violence and other assorted and uh, and sundry things out there that um, he will have to continue to look at. I'm sure now that people are going to be focusing even more on the issues of the day uh, that, that he tackles. But LeBron James, a guy who talks about things. In the political realm. And I had mentioned on this show a week ago, I had mentioned that it would be great if LeBron James would come forward and and say uh, something in support of the supporters and of the uh, protesters in Hong Kong. It would be great if LeBron James stepped forward and decided to speak in favor of, of freedom. Right. So he's spoken about Black Lives Matter. He's spoken about police violence. He's spoken about different issues here. So this is an opportunity, given what happened. As we know, you had the general manager of the Houston Rockets who criticized gently, really, or didn't even criticize the Chinese. He just spoke in support of 
the Hong Kong protesters. And what did LeBron James decide to do? I asked last week, I said, where's LeBron? Where's the king? Where's the man himself? Perhaps the single most famous, most powerful figure in professional sports today. You could certainly make that argument. The NBA is all about weighing in on politics, telling us how woke they are. Uh, we know that they will they will protest. They'll support people protesting the national anthem, You know, support taking a knee during our national anthem. They'll wear hoodies in solidarity with Trayvon Martin, all these different very political acts. And LeBron himself had even at one point, I'm trying to find this tweet, uh, LeBron had shown everybody just actually how truly woke he is. Here, here you go. This is from, I think about a, yeah, from earlier this year, LeBron James, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Wow. Bold talk, strong words from King James, as he is uh, widely known. But then he decided to speak on the China issue. And my, oh, my, it was a disaster. Hit it. We, we all talk about this freedom of speech. Yes, we all do have freedom of speech. But at times there are ramifications for the negative that can happen um, when you're not thinking about others. And only, you're only thinking about yourself. So um, I don't believe, uh, I don't want to get into a, a, word, a, a word or sentence uh, feud with Daryl. Um, with Daryl uh, Morey, but I believe he wasn't educated on, on, on the situation at hand, and, um, and he spoke. And uh, so many people uh, could have been harmed, uh, not only financially, but physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, so just be careful what we, what we tweet and we say and what we do, even though, yes, we do have freedom of speech, but there can be um, a lot of negative that comes with that too. Wow. LeBron James, a man who will never have to worry about putting food on the table, not just for himself or his family, but his family's 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 family, based on the amount of money he has amassed. A global icon who's in no danger of losing his job or anything. He could have just not said anything about this. I asked last week, I said, LeBron is woke. He is social justice aware. Now's the opportunity for him to take a stand for people who could really use it. And by the way, the Chinese market is huge for the NBA, but Chinese support, Hong Kongers support for NBA players like LeBron is also very, very strong. It would have meant a lot, just some words of solidarity. But instead of that, what did we get? LeBron James saying that uh, Morey, the, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, was not educated on the issue when he said that he was in support of freedom for the people of Hong Kong. Oh no, quite the contrary. I think, I think the Houston Rockets GM was uh, right on the money. And I think that people understand that. And Daryl Morey uh, did exactly the right thing from a moral ethical perspective. You could say from a business perspective, it wasn't a good idea, but. LeBron James comes forward to show us that all that social justice stuff, you know, it's easy to take a knee in the United States. It's it's easy to and don't even get me started on Colin Kaepernick. The guy's a backup quarterback. He's at he's at a point in his career where he, his value as a professional player is just not what it once was. And all of a sudden he takes a knee and now he's like a Nike superstar. He's a he's a sports icon. 
forget about the fact that he wore the socks with uh, pig police officers on them. We're just supposed to skip past that. Oh, he's a sports icon. All right. LeBron James, best basketball player in the world right now, criticizes the guy who's speaking out in favor of freedom in Hong Kong. And claims that he is not, I believe Maury has a, if we're going to talk about being educated on the issue, not that this means he necessarily knows all that much about what's going on in Hong Kong, but I think it's a good, good shot. First of all, he was right with his tweet. And uh, Maury, I think, went to MIT. So I have a pretty good, I'm, I'm going to guess that he has a good sense of what's going on. I think he's a, he has an advanced degree from MIT. I think uh, Maury has a good sense of what's going on in the Hong Kong situation. A lot of people are very disappointed in LeBron James right now. I, I would say, let's be serious about this, folks. Is it really a surprise? Is it really a surprise that professional athletes who have the option, as far as I'm concerned, to avoid politics and just be professionals in what they do and share their opinions privately, but to use their public platform for political issues, that opens them up. That means now that anybody's allowed to have an opinion, anyone's allowed to decide that they will criticize what these players have to say. So LeBron James, LeBron James shows us whether he's really brave or not, and unfortunately came up quite short. And it also makes a lot of people question, what about all these athletes who are talking about justice and the need for the need for fighting for what's right? And well, that's all good when fighting for justice means you sell even more sneakers. You sell even more jerseys and, and tickets. But what about the consequences, the economic consequences of fighting for justice when it's when it's hard? Oh, I see. You know, the NBA has been telling players not to not to speak on this issue. LeBron James speaks out on this issue and says exactly the wrong thing. He had a week to figure out what the response was going to be. And this is what he comes up with. But there's a bigger issue here. It's not just about LeBron James and the NBA, although should we really have expected more? I leave that to you. China, which is a situation that President Trump has been tackling from the beginning of his presidency. We have a different feeling about how to deal with China now going forward than we did in the past because of Trump. China has tremendous influence over decisions that, my friends, are affecting you and me right now. China has control over parts of the media narrative, uh, the media narrative here in America. And really, there can be no better example of just how culturally and economically influential China is than to have a globally famous NBA superstar bend the knee to Beijing's Communist Party for fear of losing out on the almighty dollar. That sends a very strong message, doesn't it? And it sends a message, I think, also about what our future is going to be unless we wake up and accept that this is not going to be easy. Just like the trade fight that Trump has started is not easy. The fight for the truth about China, what's going on inside of China, what that country is doing around the world. That's going to become increasingly complicated. Journalists like to talk about how brave they are. Celebrities always think that they're brave when they take political stands, but most of them are just idiots. But journalists think that they're brave until all of a sudden ownership has a different feeling about things. Then it changes rather rapidly, doesn't it?
How does China influence us? How far does that influence go? Oh, we'll get to that. So how powerful and influential is communist China when it comes to pop culture? We've seen that they can influence the NBA. We've seen that they can tell people what they can and cannot say in this country, even when they're incredibly wealthy and incredibly uh, influential. Where else does this extend? Well, some people picked up on a very big change recently in the new Top Gun movie, for example. In that Top Gun movie, you will recall, well, in the original Top Gun movie, uh, Tom Cruise has a, a bomber jacket on, and on the back of that bomber jacket is a flag that is the flag of Taiwan. People, uh, And that, all of a sudden, in the new version, was changed to a different flag. And a lot of people noticed this. Now, why would that happen? Because the biggest, really the biggest movie market by, at least by ticket sales in the world, is a Chinese market. It's also why, unfortunately, we have all these horrifically bad superhero movies. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Bad superhero movies that are made all the time. That's right, Mark. You know I'm right. Don't don't give me that. This isn't like an old man thing. This is a truth. You thing. are very very incorrect. Yeah, they make them this way because they can dub. They can dub Thor and the Hulk going, you know, Hulk smash and the same thing in every movie, and people in foreign countries will watch it. Doesn't incorrect. Matter. Yeah. Well, who are you gonna believe? Anyway, they change things because the Chinese government censors will block movies. Most recent example of this, I mentioned Top Gun, so that's that's a U.S. movie. But there's a, a movie that's a joint animated project of DreamWorks, the famous, uh, you know, animated and uh, I forget what they even call it. You know, the digital, essentially makes the digital cartoons that people know and love. It's done very, very well as a company. DreamWorks made this movie called Abominable which I've been thinking for a while, when is someone going to make a movie? But it, I was thinking a horror movie. As you as you know, I like Bigfoot movies. We've talked about that on the show before. And I think there should be more of them and they should be better. And not Harry and the Hendersons. I don't want a big, happy, cuddly Bigfoot. But the movie Abominable is about a cute, cuddly cartoon uh, Yeti, which some of you think of, I think, as a cooler company, right? Don't they make the coolers? Uh the little where you put the beer and the things am i yeah i know america uh but also this movie is about uh, traversing across china and this young girl is with the bigfoot has to take him has to take him back to uh i i guess to mount everest i think it is and sure enough vietnam is very upset because guess what dreamworks did in this movie in order to make sure that as a joint venture with uh, with the Chinese, it would get approved by the censors. Oh, they showed the South China Sea, the, you know, the seven dash line, the South China Sea. Uh, they showed that as Chinese territory. And the only reason that they would do this, the only reason that this would uh, this would happen is because they want to make sure they can get around the sensors. I'm sorry, the nine dash, I said the seven dash line, nine dash line, pardon me, uh, is that they want to get around the the upset of the Chinese government. This is happening now all the time. There was a, a DJ, I believe, recently, a famous DJ, which is still an amazing thing to me that that even exists. 
I feel like I could be a famous DJ. I'll make a playlist. I will put it up on Spotify or iTunes and I will hit play. And I will then be a famous. D- I don't know. I don't know how it, I don't know how it works. I guess you got to mix the beats and do all that stuff. I'm hip. I know what the, I know what the kids do. So I got to mix all the beats with all the flavor. Um, but this guy's a famous DJ. He tweeted something about China. And now the Chinese government has banned him for life as a result of this. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can remember who exactly it, who exactly it was. Some of you might know DJ Zed banned. I'm sorry. And he was banned for liking a South Park tweet on Twitter. South Park's one of the few comedic, you know, comedic enterprises that will still make fun of things you're not supposed to make fun of, which is wonderful. It's it's a very important part of of society these days. There have to be people willing to make the jokes that you're not supposed to make, or else why are we making jokes at all? But DJ Zed liked liked a tweet from South Park about the making fun of China, and now he's banned forever. You're going to see more of this. People who speak out against China's policy in Hong Kong, who are famous, are going to get banned. In fact, even people who aren't very famous might get banned. It just won't be a news story. It took me months to get a visa to be able to go to China. You know, the whole ex-CIA current news media person thing didn't really sit that well with the Communist Party, apparently. This is a big fight, my friends. This is going to continue. This shows you what kind of influence China has. We're not worried about invasion. We're worried about bending the knee culturally and economically. Welcome back, Team Buck. I-, I wanted to bring in an additional voice here on LeBron James, China, the NBA, Hong Kong, all the stuff that we've been talking about today so far on the show. We have Clay Travis with us now. He is a nationally syndicated radio host and author of the book, Republicans Buy Sneakers 2, which is definitely true. I'm a Republican. I buy sneakers. Clay, thanks for coming on. <laughs> Hey, I appreciate you having me. All right, so let's start with this. You you wrote a piece for uh, Outkick the Coverage where y- you lay out that, and I mean, I was saying this at the start, I don't follow, you follow sports very closely, and sports in the intersection of politics. I do politics, and occasionally when sports happens to cross over into my world, but uh, you, you take the position in your piece that LeBron James has been heralded as someone uh, akin to uh, the, the, the greatness of Muhammad Ali, not just as a sports figure, but as a political figure. And, and you think that's unwarranted. Tell us why. Well, because he's never really taken a stand on anything that matters. Uh, and uh, by what I mean there, when you look at Muhammad Ali's history, the man faced imprisonment. He uh, stood up to the idea of a draft. He stood up to the idea of a war. And as a result, he suffered severe consequences. But he took a stand on an issue that was dividing the country in a major way. LeBron has never taken a stand in any way. And that's why I wrote last week that this China situation offered an opportunity for LeBron James. You know this because you hear it all the time. There's much talk about being on the right side of history. And for anybody, I'm a history major. I'm a longtime history buff. Anybody who's spent any time studying history knows that Very often the idea that there's a right and wrong side of history that is going to be determined during your life is often incorrect. Uh, Sometimes it takes hundreds of years to figure out exactly who was on the right and wrong side of history. uh, And uh, biographies will consistently debate that for many different issues. But 
we know that the right side of history bends in the direction of democracy, freedom of speech, human rights, basic individual freedoms are without a doubt on the right side of history. So LeBron James had an opportunity here to stand up to China and say, I believe that the 1.4 billion people who live in China are entitled and should have the same exact rights that I do in America today. I believe in democracy. I believe in capitalism. I believe uh, in uh, something as important as that. And if he had done so, that could be a crucible moment down the line for his legacy. But in the meantime, you know that in the long range, he's going to be, I believe, on the right side of history because the winds of societal change have been towards the directions of capitalistic democracies. Instead, he chose to shut up and dribble and take communist dictator money. And if he had only been a capitalist, if that's all he cared about or all the NBA had cared about, I don't think this hypocrisy would be striking so many as being so rank, so glaring, so uh, so difficult to uh, to stomach. Now, do you think that, that LeBron James, uh, I mean, look, personally, it feels like f- financial pressure from China on him personally is that that would be tough. I mean, any financial pressure on him is, is going to be a tough thing or, or you could at least argue would be a difficult thing to pull off. Uh, how much pressure can the Chinese put on the NBA? I mean, for someone like me, I, I, I like I like basketball. I like the NBA. I haven't watched a game probably in five years. So tell me, yeah. how big a deal is it for China to start to slap down and either particular NBA players or just NBA access into the Chinese market? Well, I think it's a fascinating question. And uh, one answer I would imagine that China can sort of hint at is we don't have to pay you for the rights to your games. We can do what we've done with a lot of Western products, which is allow rampant piracy to occur in this country, such that we don't have to pay you anything substantial for your rights. And the people who are NBA fans in China, we can make it available to them without going after the pirates and uh, and everything else associated with that. But I think what you're hitting at is the key is all of China's power in this scenario is derived from financial related issues. And so the biggest uh, the biggest thing that is disappointing to me, I think, about LeBron in general is I don't know what your dollar figure is, uh, but I've pretty much reached it where if you told me I could make 20 percent more, but I had to say things that I disagreed with in order to make that 20 percent more, I wouldn't do it. Uh, right. I mean, my intellectual uh, honesty is worth a lot more to me than 20% more. Now, I worked as a lawyer, so if you told me, hey, I'll pay you 100 times as much, I might be willing to argue for anybody, right? I've defended murderers. I've defended rapists. You know, look, that's part of the job, right? But for what we do to be in the marketplace of ideas and be selling something I didn't believe in, it's really disappointing to think that the sellout dollar figure would only be about 20% more uh, for somebody like LeBron, especially if you've already made hundreds of millions of dollars. And by the way, especially if you've made those hundreds of millions of dollars at the fount of democratic capitalism, to turn your back on that in exchange for uh, platitudes from your communist dictator uh, leaders is, to me, really disappointing and essentially blows up LeBron James's argument that he's more than an athlete or that he refuses to shut up and dribble. Why did he go after Maury specifically? That seemed, not only was LeBron wrong on this, he seemed to really be doing 
the bidding of the Chinese. I mean, if the Chinese government had written his talking points, I mean, I think Xi Jinping said, you know, anyone who stands their way in Hong Kong, we will annihilate them and grind their bones to dust. So, okay, so she she goes a little more to the mat on this stuff than, than even anybody in the NBA would. Fine. But if they were trying to write plausible talking points for somebody in the NBA, I think it would include Maury doesn't understand the situation. I think that's one of the ways to undermine the, the tweet that got this whole uh, situ- got this whole uh, ruckus started. So why do you think LeBron went after Maury? Is there any personal beef there? I mean, you know, these are things that I wouldn't know that you would know. Well, first of all, I, I think you're right in claiming that this is a complicated issue. He followed up on what Steve Kerr said last week, which was, oh, it's almost impossible to come up with an opinion on a situation like this, when the reality is pretty straightforward. You know, you're either in favor of Democratic protesters in Hong Kong or you're opposed to them, and you believe in autocratic Chinese rule of, uh, of an authoritarian nature, or you don't. This is not... Uh, you know, like uh, so many issues that we confront on a daily basis in American life where, OK, let's figure out how the Second Amendment is going to apply in 2019. OK, I can see how that could be complicated and there could be a variety of different issues. To me, uh, what uh, Daryl Morey said in, in terms of endorsing democracy is the equivalent of saying cancer is bad, right? I mean, I'm sure there's one or two people out there who are like, you know, cancer's underrated in my opinion. Uh, But in general, this is like I'm in favor of clean drinking water. I'm in favor of kids having the opportunity to go to school and get an education for free. These are not controversial ideas uh, in general. So I think you're right. I think that LeBron has used Daryl Morey as a target because, one, it was his tweet that set off this, uh, this firestorm in China. But also because I believe LeBron is trying to make this issue seem more complicated than it is and, and also make Moray seem less understanding of this situation. And by the way, really what LeBron is doing, in addition to echoing communist talking points, is he's echoing one of the NBA uh, owners, uh, who is Joseph Zai, I believe is how you pronounce his name, but the Alibaba guy who now owns the Nets. It sounds like he sat down with LeBron and tried to brainwash him. And he's the guy who wrote that Facebook post, right, about about yeah, China's right. China's history yeah. and the territorial integrity and how sensitive it is. And it was some real whiny nonsense. Yeah. And it also uh, essentially told Americans that uh, that we shouldn't be concerned with democracy around the world. And that's the big issue here, I think, Buck, right? When you really break it down is China has moved from a country that was, hey, you want to show you the new uh, Avengers movie? Well, we need you to cut these two minutes out in order to play in China. And Disney and all the big companies acquiesced to those demands to get into the Chinese market. What they have now started to do, and I think this is an interesting pivot point for China, is they are arguing now, American company, we don't care that your citizens have the right under American law to have First Amendment freedoms and say what they have said. If you want to do business with us, you need to police your employees outside of the bounds of our country with what they are saying and doing. And that, to me, is a uh, is a big step by China outside of their territory. That that, that is that is a really important point, by the way. This isn't if you're going to come into our house, it's our rules. It's you better do things in your house that we want you to or else you'll never be welcome in our house. Yeah, this is a big difference, right? I mean, it's the difference between. Uh, let's, I mean, and, and again, I don't know that a lot of people have noticed this, but that's why I think this is such a uh, larger battle on the grand scale and why LeBron's decision here is so disappointing. If you believe, as I do, 
that much of the 21st century is likely to be maybe a new Cold War, however you want to define it, between America and China. The question is, do you believe in a communist authoritarian government's vision for the 21st century as it expands beyond its territorial borders and begins to try to influence the world? Or do you believe in the vision of a capitalistic democracy like the United States and many of our allies? And LeBron James has effectively said, I believe in the communist dictatorship vision. Um, And that is why this is so disappointing, because I think we're starting to see the early shots being fired in a global war of ideas. And LeBron has come down on the side of the Chinese. Clay Travis, everybody, the book is Republicans Buy Sneakers 2. I actually have a copy. Highly recommend you all go out and get one. He's also a nationally syndicated radio host. You can check out his podcast. Clay, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, my man. you got a great show. I hear great things about it. look forward to seeing you at Politicon here in a few weeks. Well, I'm glad we managed to cover the LeBron James-China-Hong Kong controversy uh, today because I, I think that it, it really is, and I, I agree with what our guest there, Clay Travis, said. I think this is just going to continue to get worse. I don't think that there's going to be any reprieve here, and the Chinese, their, their leverage is only going to become more potent as time goes on unless we start to see this for what it is and push back and... The Chinese have been playing a long game here. Uh, they have these Confucius centers that they fund all across America. These Confucius centers create this perception of a China that many people argue is just not. And, and the way that China approaches the rest of the world, it's meant to lull us into a sense that the Chinese have no ambitions beyond their own territory and just want to be good trading partners. And they want prosperity for their people and peace around the world. Uh, a lot of, lot of very powerful propaganda um, in fact, I believe that the China People's Daily, which is a or the China Daily, um, which is a publication approved by the People's Republic of China, uh, was for a time being added to the Washington Post when it was delivered to people's homes some years ago as a special advertising bulletin kind of it was propaganda. The Washington Post was like, yeah, we'll, we'll take Chinese money and distribute propaganda all over the world. So. Has been going on. And then with LeBron James, yeah, I'm not surprised really. And, and I, the more I think about it, the more sense it makes that this is this is a tough issue for the NBA in that there will be consequences. It's not tough to know which side to be on, but it's tough as in you could actually have some bad things happen if you speak out against the Chinese. Nothing bad is going to happen to anybody in the NBA for wearing a, a hoodie in solidarity with Trayvon or tweeting out about social justice or saying that, you know, Colin uh, Kaepernick should be supported in his self-indulgent protest movement, all that stuff, all of it, right? That's that's easy. In fact, that's brand enhancing. And you've seen that now. Some of the more social justice aware things that uh, were, were involved things that Nike has done, like putting uh, Kaepernick on, I forget, we had starting a campaign with him. I forget what it's called. It's like the equivalent of putting him on a Wheaties box. He's now a big sports hero for Nike. Uh, that has resulted in an increase in sales. So the there's really a financial upside. Not only does it not hurt them to take these stands in the NBA, there's a financial upside to it. Certainly a huge upside for Colin Kaepernick. Uh, but you don't want to listen to celebrities in general on these issues because, I mean, you should just listen to people who are knowledgeable and intelligent. So if a celebrity happens to be knowledgeable and intelligent on an issue, of course, but being a celebrity does not mean, as all of you know, it means you are neither knowledgeable nor intelligent uh, on its face. You, you could be, but it doesn't mean you are. And another example is, I mean, Jane Fonda still out there 
You know, Hanoi Jane still doing her thing. People listen. Media gives her airtime. Here she is. Just just in case you haven't heard enough scaremongering on climate change. Let's hear from non-scientist, I would argue non-book reader, Jane Fonda, about climate change. Uh, Play clip seven, please. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Crisis told us last year that we only have, well, last year they said 12 years, now it's 11 years. We have 11 years left to try to turn this fossil fuel disaster around so that we don't completely past the tipping point and it becomes untenable, untenable to govern, untenable to have a stable economy or any kind of human rights or anything. It's there's just going to be one disaster on top of the other. But we do have time. We have time and it's going to require that people in every country all around the world organize and mobilize and if necessary, bring governments to a to a halt if we can't make them do the right thing. I mean, it wouldn't have to be this radical and fundamental if the fossil fuel industry hadn't lied to us for 30 years. Fossil fuel disaster. Uh, That's interesting because what she refers to as a disaster, you could also look at as an objective observer and historian and see that fossil fuels have directly not just coincided with, but created the economic conditions for more prosperity, longer lifespan, easier lives, better lives around the world than any other series of scientific advances in human history. You do not have modern capitalism without fossil fuels. You don't have it. It doesn't exist. You do not have this modern world of technological wonders that we all live in. But now the left in this country and much of it around the world has embraced this hatred of fossil fuels. They're the enemy. They're going to kill us all, they say. Oh, and also the claim that we should bring governments to a halt. There are few people as clownish and stupid as the protesters against climate change, you know, the protesters who are climate change activists against fossil fuels. In recent weeks, you've seen things they've spray painted buildings red. They do all this crazy idiocy. I almost don't want to ever call them protesters. People in Hong Kong taking truncheons to the face, getting sprayed and hit with rubber bullets and tear gas and standing up for basic human rights. Those are protesters. These climate change activists, they're really just engaged in a a kind of self-indulgent virtue signaling theater. Jane Fonda is a part of it. Well, they found Hunter Biden, everybody. Where's Hunter? Remember Where's Waldo? That book, when you were a kid, you try to find Waldo with all the people around him. Well, we were playing Where's Hunter. Turns out they were able to get him. Uh, You have the Democrat debate happening tonight. And it seemed that the Biden handlers and uh, assorted media strategists and all the other folks who were involved in trying to prop up the Biden situation here, make it look like it's not as bad as we all know it is. Uh, they figured, OK, well, let's let's get ahead of this thing because Biden's going to have to get even the even the pro Biden journos know that he's going to have to get some kind of question about this tonight. So better to get ahead of it and to have Hunter Biden establish that, the, you know, 
There was nothing going on here, nothing wrong here. Everything is just fine. At least that's supposed to be the the storyline. That's what we're supposed to take. And I, I want to play this for you because there are problems, even with Hunter's very favorable, uh, helpful to him interview. With the way they ask him the most basic questions, he knows they're not going to come at him with anything particularly. They'll, they'll ask questions like, do you think it was a good idea? They won't say, how can you tell us that it wasn't corruption? I mean, you know, it's all about how they frame the questions and pose the questions. Uh, but here is Hunter Biden when asked on, I think it's ABC, right? ABC, CBS, NBC, it's all, it's all the same thing. I mean, they think it's not, but I think it is. Uh, here's what Hunter Biden says when asked about whether he talked to his dad about the stuff. Oh, please. Let's let's know this. Let, let, let's find out what he said. Play five. I'm sorry. Play uh, 16. I want to get to the heart of it. Did you and your father ever discuss Ukraine? No. As I said, the only time was after a news account. It wasn't a discussion in any way. There's no but to this. No, we never did. Your dad said, I hope you know what you're doing. I hope you know you what said, you're doing. It, I do. And I said, I do. And that was literally the end of our discussion. Why? Because my dad was vice president of the United States. There's literally nothing as a young man or as a full-grown adult that um, uh, my father in some way hasn't had influence over. It does not serve either one of us. When he said, I hope you know what you're doing, what did he think you were doing? Well, he read the press reports that I joined the board of Burisma, which was a Ukrainian natural gas company. And there's been a, a, a lot of misinformation about me, not about my dad. Nobody buys that, but it buys this idea that I was unqualified to be on the board. What were your qualifications to be on the board of Burisma? Well, I was vice chairman of the board of Amtrak for five years. I was the chairman of the board of the UN World Food Program. I was a lawyer for Boy Schiller Flexner, one of the most prestigious law firms in the world. You didn't have any extensive knowledge about natural gas or Ukraine itself, though. Uh, no, but I think that I had as much knowledge as anybody else that was on the board, if not more. In the list that you gave me of the reasons why you're on that board, you did not list the fact that you were the son of the vice president. Of course, president. yeah. No, I, what I, role do you think that played? I think that it is impossible for me to be on any of the boards that I just mentioned without saying that I'm the son of the vice president of the United States. You were paid $50,000 a month for your position? Look, I'm a private citizen. One thing that I don't have to do is sit here and open my kimono as it relates to how much money I make or make or did or didn't. But it's all been reported. I got to tell you, this was great. Fantastic. After all of the whining from libs about Trump and the emoluments clause, we have been led to believe through story after story in the Washington Post, the New York Times. I mean, nobody even knew what the heck the emoluments clause was until they thought maybe they could get Trump on it. Right. That if if foreigners are buying cheeseburgers and beer at Trump Hotel in D.C., they, that, that's constitutionally prohibited because they're basically buying off the president of the United States. And I would just say to all the Washington Post journos who were running with this absurd theory, well, it's constitutionally not allowed to get payments from a foreign government. Yeah, they're allowed to give you a big bag of money. They're allowed to be customers at a business that has expenses and payroll and that has Countless other customers, too. What leverage could you possibly have there? Walk into the White House sometime. Try this one. Say, I have no foreign policy experience, but I did buy a cheeseburger at Trump Hotel last night, and so I would like you to end this trade war with China. See how that goes with you. See how that does. 
But this is what they were saying. I'm not making it up. This is what they were telling people. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. And yet now, when you have Hunter Biden uh, doing this interview, this is just the picture. The left always talks about privilege. There is no privilege like bratty politician child privilege. And this is bipartisan. It's true on all sides and both sides. I'm sorry. Bratty politician child is a level of privilege. You get to go to any college you want. If you're young enough for that, you know, you get to be famous and people will pay you to speak. Why, why would anyone pay Chelsea Clinton to speak anywhere? Who cares what soon to be congressional candidate? I can assure you, Chelsea Clinton. And then after that, Senator. And then after that, presidential candidate. They're going to revive the whole Clinton dynasty around her. Who cares what she has to say about anything? How has she proven that her thoughts are worthwhile? Who cares what any politician's children have to say about anything? Well, if they're particularly compelling, if they're legitimately interesting, good on their feet, good on certain topics, I'm persuadable. But that's a case-by-case basis. Hunter Biden, however, is sitting there and he's basically looking the American people in the eye and he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, like, I was I was as qualified as anybody else to be on the on board of that company. Yeah, totally. Um, Asked if he was qualified, he said he was on the board of Amtrak. Oh, you mean Amtrak, the company that Joe Biden is linked to as a politician as part of his brand. Joe Biden takes the Amtrak from Delaware to D.C. You know, ba ba da. He's blue collar Joe. That's the whole story. Oh, you, oh, you mean that Amtrak thought it might be a good idea? I mean, a, a a company that is dependent upon the federal government for its largesse. Yeah, they're going to put the the single U.S. senator who probably rides that more than anyone else, rides that train more than anyone else, put his son on the board because Hunter Biden's so smart. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. His qualifications for this clearly nepotistic post are the other posts of nepotism granted to him because of who his dad is. This is what he's telling you in the interview. Oh, my gosh. UN food program. Oh, he's on the board of the UN food program. I'm sure that was really strenuous work. And he was hired by a big DC law firm. Well, that had nothing to do with his last name. My friends, this is the this is the embarrassment that the Democrats can they can pretend like it's not embarrassing. But when you look at the complaints, I mean, the hypocrisy is what's just so difficult to stomach here. You look at the way that they have talked about, whined about all things related to Trump, everything that Trump and his family have ever done in office, out of office. Uh, you know, they, they believe that the, the trademarks that his children are getting approved around the world, that's illicit. That's wrong. Uh, you know, the emoluments clause, Trump hotels, the businesses, they're always worried about whether somebody in the United States government is paying to stay in a Trump hotel. I mean, it's just they're completely fixated on this stuff. Never come up with anything. But oh, under the Obama administration, the vice president's son was getting paid off by a foreign government. And we're supposed to believe that that didn't at least create the appearance. You could say, well, there was never a there was never an explicit agreement between Biden and uh, between Hunter Biden and his dad that you know Burisma wouldn't get investigated or yeah okay but that's not that's not how bribes necessarily work either folks if a police officer is uh, you know uh, p- pulls me over 
And I don't know why he's pulled me over. And I were to just say, well, hello, officer. And I slid a crisp, I was going to say 20, but then I'd really be in trouble. You know, a crisp $100 bill across the top of the door as I have, you know, put the window down. The officer's not going to say, oh, that's cool. We didn't agree that I'm just going to let you off uh, because you're giving me money. Uh, so, but, uh, but so I'm just going to take the money and then make my determination, but it has nothing to do with you giving me money. That's, that's, what's, that's not going to happen. Paying off the vice president's son isn't about an explicit agreement. It's about the vice president's son's getting a lot of money. Does that, does that mean that maybe you're less likely to be okay as Joe Biden, point man on Ukraine policy with an investigation of that company that results in people going to prison or bad things happening? Are there concerns then about dirtying things up, muddying up the waters such that the Obama administration and anybody who worked for it, any uh, any diplomat, any, any politician who was involved in Obama's foreign policy decision-making, that administration's decision-making in Ukraine, they would have to know the vice president's son is on the board of that company. There's no way they didn't know that. And this would have been talked about in those circles working on Ukraine policy. That doesn't affect decision-making. That doesn't matter to what they're trying to accomplish here. I've got to tell you, seems to me that it would matter a whole heck of a lot, depending on the circumstances, even absent an explicit agreement that they would do. And think about how stupid that would be. Do we really have to pretend that anyone thinks Hunter Biden might have sent an email to his dad like, hey, I know that, you know, I know that uh, we shouldn't be talking about this, but I, you know, you got a big check. Or I got a big check, rather, from this company. So, you know, let's like back off them. Of course, not even Hunter Biden is that reckless. So you're never going to find that. But what we have here is the admission that this was gross. And that's why, you know, he stepped down from the board. It's a five-year term. Wow, what a gig, by the way. Can somebody put me on the board of a Ukrainian natural gas company at 50K a month? Sign me up. Ethics or no ethics, man. 50K a month for five years? That's really to, to do nothing to be on the board, to be a figurehead. This is the best no show job I've ever heard of. Well, one of them. And now he's stepping down. For, but he didn't do anything wrong. You see, it's just the it's create. It's I love this. He said this in the interview, too. It has created a distraction. Oh, a distraction. That's a very nice way of saying it's created a massive. Cluster of a problem for hunter biden for his dad and so they know he's got to back away from this the gravy train has come to a stop hunter biden uh but you just you gotta love the the chutzpah here the willingness to look people in the eye and say yeah i was qualified for that board i don't know anything about ukraine or natural gas but put me on the board of that company why should I be on the board of that company? Because, you know, my dad's this famous politician. And I'm on the board of a lot of companies because of who my dad is. So, you know, we just wanted to we wanted to add this one into the mix. Hmm. It strikes me as a, a very shaky justification. That much is for sure. Um, will this change anything uh, going into the debate? No, of course not. You know, they're going to pretend that Biden has answered all these questions. And Oh, wait, no, but... 
He was asked specifically, we got one more here. He was asked about his relationship with his dad. And here's also this Hunter Biden interview moment. Play 14. So you think it's perfectly fine? I mean, the Trump children have been criticized for doing similar sorts of look, that's, that, business. I, I don't, look, unlike them, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about them. I really don't. It's all noise. And what they do is they create just an enormous amount of noise. I have to then answer questions about accusations made by probably the most unethical group of people that we've ever seen in this republic. You said no one votes or will vote for or against my dad because of me. Yeah. And my dad knows that. Do you still believe that? 100%. They know who my dad is. My dad doesn't have to defend me. My dad only has to love me. And my dad loves me unequivocally. Look, I know that after being able to get up after Bo died, say whatever the hell they want Lock to say about me. Lock them yeah, up. Good for them. I mean, who cares? Look, I'm like I really, like I've said, I've been through some stuff in my life. I've been through some real, real stuff. This isn't real stuff. It isn't. It truly isn't. That part of it, that Barnum and Bailey, um, you know, say anything, do anything you want. You know, I mean, like, you know, Donald Prince Humperdinck um, Trump Jr. is not somebody that I really care about. I don't even know what that last thing was. Whatever. But he's... Clearly trying to tell everybody how this doesn't matter. He's doing a national TV interview on the subject the night of the Democrat debates because it doesn't matter, right? Because it doesn't matter at all. I would just have I would just have you also keep in mind here that while he can invoke the and he, the Biden family has had tragedies, many family have had tragedies, however. So I, I don't think that that's a shield for illicit or um, unethical behavior. It wouldn't be for other. It wouldn't be for other people. Um. But keep in mind when he's saying that, oh, you know, this doesn't really matter and this is all a, all the a nothing burger, which I agree with those who say that a nothing burger as a phrase is something we should probably phase out of the English language. What, who came up with this? What is it? There's no such thing as a nothing burger. But remember that his dad's administration, well, his dad as vice president of administration oversaw the spying on American citizens. Right. That that was on on Obama and the vice president's watch, spying on American citizens using FISA warrant. People like Carter Page, people like George Papadopoulos. What did they do to deserve all that? What did General Flynn do to deserve to have his career destroyed, ruined, threatened with being sent to prison, threatened with bankruptcy? Did, did he deserve that? This, this whole, oh, we're above this, this is nothing, really? Because the vice president was part of the Donald Trump is a traitor. Donald Trump colluded with the Russians lying chorus for a long time. The vice president, his dad, fights very dirty when he thinks it's in his interests. Will really do harm to people and their reputations the moment that he thinks it is the way that he needs to go. And so... Really? Now we're going to pretend we're above that, Hunter Biden? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, we're going to pretend that the effort to run a Ukraine gate version of Russia gate as a soft coup attempt against his president. I'm sorry, it's just unacceptable. And they're not above it. They're not above any of it. I just want to tell everybody that today is our first day of the first. 
new channel on Pluto TV. You can download the Pluto TV app if you want to see what's going on here in the Freedom Hut. You want to see producer Mark making funny faces at me. All kinds of good stuff going on here in NYC as we do the show for you. Just download the Pluto TV app on channel 248, the first. It's all about free speech. It's all about sharing ideas without fear of corporate censorship, right? The Chinese aren't telling me what to say. Nobody's telling me what to say. Check out the first channel 248 uh, on Pluto TV. The Pluto TV app is totally free. Download on your smartphone. It uh, There's no subscription, nothing. So please, uh, just great content. My friend Jesse Kelly is in the lineup. We're going to be adding more people as we go forward. We're going to have fantastic people all day long on the Pluto TV app, channel 248. The channel is the first. And if you're uh, looking for great conservative commentary, this is the spot to do it. Also, by the way, the podcast, The Buck Saxon Show, is up every day at 3 Eastern. So if you want the audio, you know where to get it. Wherever you get podcasts, iTunes, iHeart app, every day, 3 Eastern. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. This video right here appearing to show Turkey's military bombing Kurd civilians in a Syrian border town. The Kurds who fought alongside the U.S. against ISIS. Now horrific reports of atrocities committed by Turkish-backed fighters on those very allies. Turns out that ABC News, which is one of the the biggest news operations in the country, um, aired footage of what they, they claimed was a frontline battle explosion between Syrian Kurds and the invading Turkish military. Unfortunately, it was really from a nighttime machine gun demonstration at the Knob Creek Gun Range in West Point, Kentucky. <laughs> so, I mean, we all make geographic errors, but as those of you listening to this show no doubt are already aware, Knob Creek gun range in West Point, Kentucky is quite a ways away from the front lines of the Turkish-Syrian fighting in northern Syria, uh, or Kurdish fighting in northern Syria. That's, that's an issue. That's a problem. How could this happen, you would say? Well, they're, they're of course, at ABC. They're, they, there's no dispute that this was a mess up. But then the issue becomes, how could they make such a a bizarre uh, mistake? And this is going to tie in in a second to the way the media is covering everything going on in Syria right now. It's because anything that looks like it's mayhem and disaster and terrible right now is going to be put on the air, is going to be shared with the American public because it is viewed as damaging for Trump. Any bodies, any any mayhem, anything bad that is happening in Syria right now, the media has set this up so that it is, you know, Trump has uh, greenlit the invasion of Syria by the Turkish forces and it's a disaster. Everyone knows it's a disaster. It's also terrible. I, I'm here to tell you, it's, it's not the disaster they're saying it is. And... I think in the end, we'll see that Trump was right in terms of strategy. And I, I know that there's a, a very few conservatives even agree with me on this. I think Trump is right. And I will tell you why. But, but first, I would just note that uh, here we have a circumstance where you have 
fake news effectively happening. Now, they'll say it's an accident. Fine. But once again, it's a major error of fact that happens to occur in a way that if it were true, it would have been useful for the Trump is terrible narrative that the media is obsessed with. Right. A huge explosion. All this terrible stuff happening on the. In the Kurdish uh, Turkish fighting in northern Syria right now, it turns out it didn't really happen. I would just note the following for you, that the Syrian civil war, which is what is still going on here, this is a civil war in a country with multiple factions inside the country, uh, really dozens of factions inside the country vying for power and control. It is a place that involves foreign, uh, foreign governments taking sides in what then has become a proxy battle on Syrian soil, the Turks, the Russians, the Iranians, the... You, can, you can't even name all the different foreign actors that are, I mean, the Israelis occasionally show up and blow something up. I mean, a lot of people are very involved in what is going on here. And you also have a Sunni Shia schism that is the backdrop of this. Remember, the, uh, the uh, Alawite minority in Syria that the Assad regime is a part of is uh, Shia, the majority of the anti-Assad fighters are Sunni Arab, and including many Sunni Arab jihadists and groups that are either directly or uh, or indirectly affiliated with the Islamic State and Al Qaeda. So that's what's that's what's happening in this country. The Obama administration was leading on the Syria question for the international community over the course of I think it was let's say seven years, six or six or seven years depending on how you calculate it. But for almost the entirety of Obama's uh, presidency, certainly all of the second, his second term, Syria has been a disaster. You had half a million people, and it's just an estimate, killed in the Syrian civil war. And you have seen more outrage and dismay from the American journo establishment in the last... 72 hours than you saw in the seven years before it where Obama was the guy calling the shots in Syria. Notice how little coverage you saw, I would note, of the fall of Raqqa, the destruction of the Islamic State, things that happened while Trump was in office. The eradication of ISIS or the near eradication of ISIS that, yeah, there were news reports on it, but it was never you never had anyone from the national security establishment going on TV and saying, See, Trump does know something about this. Trump did have some idea of how to make this all stop. Hmm. But now that there's a problem, now that there's an issue, everyone is viewing this as clear evidence that the president has no idea what's going on. He's reckless. He's destroying everything. And that's also just not true. The vice president spoke out on this in a, a number of fronts, uh, Vice President Pence. And, for example, here's what he had to say about the U.S. position vis-a-vis. As I've been telling you, the Turks are the ones causing the problem here with our Kurdish allies. The Turks are the ones who are saying we're going after them. And they don't have to do that. They could not do that. So why our administration, why the Trump administration is being blamed for this is a question that I don't see nearly enough people attempting to answer. But here's what he, uh, here's what the vice president says about the conversation with Turkey. Play 11, please. 
President Erdogan reached out and requested the call. Uh, and uh, President Trump communicated to him very clearly that the United States of America wants Turkey to stop the invasion, to implement an immediate ceasefire, and to begin to negotiate uh, with Kurdish forces in Syria to bring an end to the violence. They're saying cut it out. They're saying that what the Turks are doing is opposed by the, this White House, opposed by the Trump administration. And Turkey is showing us, as I have been saying, they're not really an ally. They certainly shouldn't be in NATO, but they're not really an ally. Uh, the Turks do not do what is helpful to our interests in cases where, yes, they have their own interests. I understand that. But they don't need to be going after the Kurds like this right now. They don't have to be doing it. There's, there's not some imminent danger to Turkey from the Kurds, but they are highly sensitive to this issue. Um, and, you know, this is this gets back into decades and decades of fighting. And so they don't want to listen to us. Uh, there are sanctions now against Turkey. So we are taking economic action, uh, economic action against the Turks, against what is at least still officially a NATO ally. Here's what the vice president said. Play 12, please. The sanctions that were announced today will continue uh, and will worsen unless and until Turkey uh, embraces an immediate ceasefire, stops the violence, uh, and agrees to negotiate uh, a long-term settlement of the issues along the border between Turkey and Syria. Saying you better negotiate a ceasefire or else there's going to be economic pain for the Turks. So, good. This is the right move for the administration and this is something that everybody needs to understand is uh, being handled in a way that I think is responsible for this White House right now, given the realities in the ground. But but I want to step back just from the because the storyline is that we we told that we basically told the Turks to invade. That's not true. We didn't tell the Turks to invade. We knew the Turks were planning on probably doing this. We've been asking them not to. Uh, but Trump wanted to move U.S. troops out of the way because he doesn't want to get in. The, he doesn't want them to at some point they'd be in the middle of this. People who think that 50 U.S. soldiers, we already had the Turks fire, they say, accidentally in the vicinity of our soldiers. At some point, U.S. troops are not enough to deter these factions from going after each other. And then and then we start getting involved. We start getting deeper. The, the national security establishment in this country does not want to learn the lesson of the last 20 years, which is that we do not want to be in Muslim majority countries in the Middle East or South Asia that do not want a U.S. military presence there, that are in the midst of fighting, that have major problems with terrorism. We don't want to be in charge of rebuilding their societies. We don't want to be in charge of, of placating their various factions within the population. We're done. We don't want to do it anymore. And that's why I, I just note with some, with, with some uh, agitation, there's this the way they're reporting on this is to just all make it about how much these other factions are gaining and how, how how much of a win it is for them. Here's the New York Times front page today. Russian troops move in as U.S. troops exit Syrian region. The Russian defense ministry said that its military police were patrolling territory between Turkish and Syrian forces. And then right below that, Russia savers U.S. missteps in Syria and seizes opportunity. If we're going to talk about Russia savoring missteps in Syria... Russia completely outplayed the Obama administration on this issue and managed to save the Assad. There was a time when Assad really looked like he was going to be he was going to be done. He was going to get Arab springed, if you will. 
It was very, a very close-fought thing for a while, but then the Russians came in, the Iranians came in, they propped him up, they backed him up when it was absolutely critical for the Assad regime to stay in power. But now we're being told, oh, look at all this, all the, this, this bounty that has been left for the Russians because the Trump administration has moved some U.S. troops from this border region. Uh, okay, well, now the Russians are going to be dealing with this. This is not some area of great strategic interest to the United States. This is not, oh, no, they've seized these oil fields that will be funding their government forever. What will we do? We'd rather have these other these other players in charge of this territory. We don't want to be the ones that are policing this. We don't want to be the ones that are keeping these combatants from each other's necks. The Syrian government has moved into some of these areas. And I've been saying, nobody wants to say this. Nobody wants to admit this out loud. Assad has won the Syrian civil war. His regime endured. He stayed. That was the plan all along. There is no plan, realistic plan, for him to be gone. There's no international pressure to speak of that has, has a prayer of having Assad step down or anything else. No. So the Assad regime is, is staying. So given that they're staying, would we rather have Assad trying to prevent the resurgence of ISIS, which is anti-Assad, is, you know, the enemy of my enemy, my friends. You got to remember it. So now we got the Russians, we got the Syrians, uh, the, the Assad regime, rather, uh, and the, the Turks all staring at each other across the, the battlefield. And we don't have U.S. troops that are right in the middle of this. And we're being told that this is a huge loss. No, what we want is these other players to take control of this area. Let the Russians try to figure out how to keep the Turks from fighting with the Kurds, from fighting with the Syrian national government. Is it going to be something that works out well? For No, of course not. I mean, the Russians are are brutal and they've been bombing. They, they bombed civilians indiscriminately in the Aleppo campaign. And they've done all kinds of things in Syria that are horrific. But it's not our fight. Ultimately, and people say, oh, but there's going to be a resurgence of ISIS. Yeah, maybe. If there's a resurgence of ISIS, we'll have to deal with it. But... There's never going to be some certification. There, there's no international bodies. There's no group that comes together and says, ah, oh, ISIS is finally gone. ISIS is a jihadist ideology in a region that has been riddled with extremism for as long as anybody can remember. You can argue stretching back for centuries, really over a millennium, if we're really going to talk about it. There's going to be extremism there in some form for the foreseeable. There's still... You know, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula operating in Yemen. There's still Boko Haram in Nigeria. There's still, name your, you know, the Moro Islamic Liberation Front and Abu Sayyaf in the Philippines. You have these terrorist groups all over the world. Do we all say, oh, no, but we need to be there because, no, I mean, we maybe help the host government try to deal with it a little bit, but we're not leaving a thousand troops everywhere where there happens to be the possibility of or an ongoing jihadist threat we'd rather work through allies partners or even enemy states that just happen to share our interest in suppressing that terrorist entity we should be honest about this stuff what is the i keep saying what is the alternative all these people are talking we're going to leave we're going to leave u.s troops in this part of syria for the next decade 
to what end? There's not going to be a political settlement. There's no there's no negotiating with the Assad regime over this. This isn't critical territory for them. It's not like they can't function. Their government can't function. We're going to operate a, an independent Kurdish statelet. What right right on Turkey's border in Syria? We're going to be in charge of that. What was the what was the game plan here? Oh, negotiate some kind of a political settlement. This is what people say when they have nothing else to say. There wasn't going to be any political settlement. So, you know, look, I know I've got a somewhat alternative or contrarian point of view on this, but I also spent a lot of time in Iraq, a lot of time in Afghanistan, thinking about this, working on this stuff for the CIA. I, I know these arguments. I've seen what happens. And no one's saying that, that Trump is the most eloquent in making the case, but he understands get out the mission is done that's the lesson that we should have learned in afghanistan and did not and i'm hoping we've learned it now for syria we are in the fight of our lives everything is on the table in 2020 they think so too because they think if they lose in 2020 that they're they're gonna have to the rules are going to be fair and they're never going to win again and they're right if we win in 2020 they're done forever but it's scary for us, too, because if they win, literally, it could be the end of the world. Literally, it could be the end of the world that the Republicans win. That's that's really all I have to tell you about the Democrat debate tonight. That's Tom Steyer. The fact that that guy made a billion dollars is is stunning. Just goes to show you, you, you can be a, a total political nincompoop and make a billion dollars. So there's that. There's plenty of those running around. Uh, yeah, the world might literally end. How how is it possible? I can't exaggerate how much the libs and the left exaggerate in these political discussions because they're saying things that what well, how do you go beyond the world will end? If if your political party wins, the world will end. Is there anything more terrifying than that or is there is there a level, you know, can you take the dial to 11? Is there is there anything that's that's bigger than the world will end? Of course not. This is why they, when I say these people are shrill hysterics, I mean it. And that's really the that's the, the Democrat slogan for tonight's debate. Vote Republican and the world will end. And and you hate everything and you're terrible. Well, gee, that's really that's really a helpful conversation, isn't it, Libs? Among the militant secularists are many so-called progressives. But where is the progress? We are told we are living in a post-Christian era. But what has replaced the Judeo-Christian moral system? What is it that can fill the spiritual void in the hearts of the individual person? And what is the system of values that can sustain human social life? The fact is that no secular creed has emerged capable of performing the role of religion. This is not decay. This is organized destruction. Secularists and their allies have marshaled all the forces of mass communication, popular culture, the entertainment industry, and academia in an unremitting assault on religion and traditional values. Bill Barr, the attorney general, is an excellent lawyer, but he's also, as we just heard, and I would really recommend that you go if you have the chance and and watch or listen to that entire speech that he gave earlier in the week. He's also somebody who really understands the spiritual crisis of our current moment. 
Uh, you have a left wing in this country that, as I, I know, there are a lot of Democrats who would they think of themselves as very religious and very spiritual. But the leadership of the progressive left, and as he says, what progress have they have they made in in, in spiritual areas, other than the concerted effort to destroy religion? Uh, the leadership of of the left is uh, atheist at least in their policies, in their vision of the role of government in, in people's lives. And the leadership of the progressive left also views Judeo-Christian values as not just an anachronism, but a threat. And threats must be, must be dealt with. Threats must be destroyed. You can't allow that to continue on. You can't have an ongoing, in-the-background possibility of a resurgence, let's say, in American culture of of Judeo-Christian values. I've say I've, I've always been, and I'm honest with you about who I think is impressive and who is not in this administration and um, who I believe has competence and who is a buffoon, because unfortunately there have been a lot of those in the Trump White House. Uh, Bill Barr is a very smart guy and he understands what's really going on here. And the point about pop culture being marshaled in a way that the forces of the left in pop culture are specifically actively working toward the destruction of what had been the the moral fabric of this nation you see it happening all the time all around you the left never takes a position that at least not not in recent memory that christian beliefs christian values judeo-christian beliefs and values uh should be supported should be treated with any not just not deference any respect and the moment that I think really will stick out in a lot of people's minds was when uh, Beto O'Rourke, who is clearly a, a man who is trying to punch way above his weight in, a, in any presidential contest. He's just not like that, like smart, really, but he's just like really into himself and was like born to do this. And so he thinks he should be president. Uh, but when Beto said that churches that advocate for, say, traditional marriage should lose their tax-exempt status, he was giving voice to what the progressive left believes in this country, just has not been willing, they have not been willing to openly take that position because they don't want to suffer the political consequences. But that's not the same thing as rejecting this. That's not the same thing as saying that it should never happen. Um, they're waiting for the moment in time when they can do it without fear of reprisal. And Beto really just gave away the game a bit early on all of this. And uh, that's why though, I, I think now when we have these, these conversations about what is, what's the difference between the left and the right, uh, the American left wants to put the government in place of God. You can still have your private God or gods, you know, whatever, whatever that may be, or uh, you could still worship Mother Earth, in private, well, that one they actually want as a function of public policy because climate change activism is, is a religion. Why, why is climate change activism catching on so much? Why do so many people react as though they've been personally affronted? They have been, as human beings, they have been undermined. They've been assaulted by the questioning of what is inherently a scientific debate. Why do they get so mad? Call you a denier even sometimes publicly say that you should be banned from raising doubts about climate change. This is all straight out of a true believer in a, of a religion. 
and a religion that has not matured to a level where it has its own sense of uh, purpose and its own, its its sense of its its destiny, such that it doesn't feel the need to be constantly forcing people to go along with what it says or else. But climate change has been catching on so much because there is a a spiritual crisis in the country. Why do people, why should we, what do we exist for? Oh, sure, we exist because we want to be woke. We want justice, social justice, of course. Uh, We will not rest until transgender athletes can compete against uh, women in every sport at every level, all the way down to, you know, grade school. These are all political purposes, but that doesn't really give people enough meaning. No one person is necessary for any of that. We can exist because we're part of some great collective, which the left certainly believes, and that collective action is a motivating force in our day-to-day lives, and that we should just take satisfaction and pride in being a part of the great mass that is leveraged by the apparatus of the political left in this country to achieve certain ends. Yay. You know, part of that part of that entity, however you want to describe it, that's not enough. Ah, so you need something that is truly existential, a fight between good and evil. You know, between heaven and hell, between God and the devil. But you can't actually use any of those things because that's religion. So what do you come up with now? Oh, well, humanity will go extinct unless we harness the collective that I was speaking about before. And understand that 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 our purpose as human beings now, according to the climate change activists, is not a relationship with God. It's not achieving our spiritual uh, destiny of trying to become good people that are worthwhile and that do God's will here on earth. None, None of that stuff. That's all like Old Testament, New Testament, you know, you know, whatever. It's ah, we exist for the purposes of saving the future generations of this planet by empowering a super government to change every aspect of our life to stop putting CO2, which is less than 1% of the atmosphere, in the air. That's that's why we exist. That's shallow stuff. It's also not true, but we'll put aside the scientific scientific gaping holes in in all that theory. Uh, This is why it's catching on so much now. It is a religious belief for people who think they're too smart for religion. I think I said that recently on Fox and all media matters and all these groups got all upset because it's true. If it were silly, if the people that were so into climate change weren't offended by the truth of the statement, they would ignore it because of who would care. But what I say is true. And what the attorney general here says about the forces, the militant secularists of the left uh, they view this as the the ultimate spiritual battle of our age is to eradicate spirituality. Uh, the ultimate moral quest for the progressive left today is to destroy the moral teachings that have been the bulwark of much of human civilization for millennia now. Destroy all that. Kick at the load-bearing walls of Judeo-Christian, uh, Judeo-Christian ideology, morality, ethics, 
uh, kick at the load-bearing walls of Western civilization and see what happens. This is what the progressive left is doing in this country. Oh, this is how they're fighting. This is what they're striving for all the time. We can sit back and allow it to happen and wonder why there'll be not just lost generations, but perhaps lost centuries, perhaps a new new dark ages of militant secularism descending upon this country and many others with it. Or we can say perhaps there is wisdom. Uh, There's wisdom in Judeo-Christian teaching worth fighting for as a matter of public policy, not just as personal spiritual belief. I think the attorney general is really on to something. I think he knows exactly what he's talking about here. I wish he would run for something. You know, what I'm concerned about is an impeachment inquiry that's moving forward, that's denying the president and his administration due process. Uh, If we want to exercise oversight, which is our responsibility in Congress, you don't have to label it an impeachment inquiry. If you do, I certainly hope that Speaker Pelosi and Leader Hoyer will put a vote on the floor of the House, just like the three other impeachments in our nation's history, to ensure that the American people know where each and every member of Congress stands in moving this inquiry forward. Otherwise, we're just having committee hearings and people coming in and directing our own oversight. Yeah, uh, they're manipulating this whole process in ways that couldn't be any more obvious. They're weaponizing this whole impeachment inquiry mess against the president of the United States in ways that are dishonest, that are unfair, no transparency, all this secret stuff going on. And but, you know, think about what what the real play is here. Adam Schiff, And his shifty Democrat colleagues, I should be more clever than that, but it was close enough. They tell us that they have to have secrecy. They have to protect these witnesses. Oh, we could never find out who the whistleblower is. Oh, good heavens. Not until they sign their six-figure book deal and get on the speaking circuit. Then we can know who the whistleblower is. Oh, oh, and perhaps after the next election. Then you'll definitely, I think, find out who the whistleblower is. This person's not going to stay secret forever. And by their own choice, I would say um, that they want secrecy until they don't. They want the protections of uh, they want the protections of the process, but not the protections for others in the process that come from transparency and accountability. So. What we have here, my friends, is the Democrats showing us who they really are in this process and what they're really planning to do. They don't want people to know what's going on behind closed doors, but then they'll have a very clear series of leaks. Most recently, leaks involving the testimony of the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Uh, a, seri- a series of leaks. So, so information can certainly get out from behind closed doors, but we can't have open access to any of it. So we can't really know what was said. We can't know who was asking what and what the games are the Democrats are playing here, which is why I have to say Representative Matt Gates, when he calls this a clown show, is most certainly onto something. Play clip nine, please. So this morning, we see further evidence that Adam Schiff's clown show of an impeachment proceeding continues. Adam Schiff lied when he said that he and his team had not had contact with the whistleblower. He lied when he read a false transcript into the record as uh, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Indeed. 
And it doesn't get much better after that. Impeaching the president for this Ukraine Ukraine phone call. Uh, some people have started to catch on to this because I know that, you know, you deal with this initial as, as a conservative, as somebody on the right, you, you, you try to assess things as they are, not as you wish that they would be. That's the emotionalism of the left. But when something like this comes up, you say, well, hold on, maybe, you know, did Trump did Trump really make a mistake here? Did he do something bad? And a lot of people on the right that I know, I think, fell victim to, well, if so many people are so outraged about this, there must be something wrong. More are starting to come around to my opinion, which is people do things for personal benefit in politics all the time. And that's why we have to have very clear lines separating out what is corrupt from what is just politics. Because otherwise things can get uh, very messy very quickly. You know, you can't accept a million dollars in cash for signing a bill, but there are a lot of ways that people can funnel cash to you for doing what you what you want or what they want you to do as a politician that are totally legal. And so just because the president would benefit politically if there was an investigation of Joe Biden and his son uh, going on in Ukraine, it does not mean that that is illicit or illegal. Sorry. There's a there's a legitimate basis. And this is why all along I have I haven't moved from this position. There's a legitimate basis for inquiry into the, the dealings that the Bidens had in Ukraine or the Obama administration. And if that happens to upset Democrats, that's just too bad. All right, we see how we see how the Democrats are investigating everybody and anybody whenever they want and not apologizing at all. So get ready tonight for I think uh, I think a lot of I think a lot of the Democrats actually are going to be on the same sheet of music here in this debate. They're going to say and some of you will be watching the debate probably as I'm as you're hearing this. Uh, but they're going to defend Joe Biden on the Ukraine thing, because that's that's a liability for the Democratic Party. That's a bigger thing. Corruption isn't just about Joe Biden. Corruption is about. The Democratic Party and the Obama administration, which is still held up as without scandal. Forget about Benghazi and Fast and Furious and the IRS targeting. Remember the remember when the IRS was uh, targeting the opponents of Barack Obama's administration? The thing that completely happened, 100%. On the record, we know it. Anyone go to prison for that? Anything really bad happened to anybody as a result of that? Nah. In an election year, by the way. In an election year, you had the IRS going after Obama's political opponents. This is just, this is what happened. And, but we're supposed to be outraged. Uh, we're supposed to be outraged. Oh, and they said it was, it was just decisions made at the field level. You know, it was decisions made by the field offices. It wasn't anything from up top, sure. Uh, but Joe Biden asking for some kind of investigation of, I'm sorry, Donald Trump asking for some kind of investigation of Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, that's considered to be the worst thing that anybody's at worse than Watergate, which is a phrase that is so abused. It really now that has no meaning. It would have to quickly be worse than worse than Watergate or else nobody will pay any attention to it. Um, here's a we have Senator Amy Klobuchar, by the way, she's going to I if you're looking for somebody who's going to break out tonight, I think it might be her. Actually, media is trying to set her up for a big run here. And she's definitely in contention for a, a vice presidential running slot, I think, in this. Uh, they need to appeal to the Midwest, the crazy, crazy libs on the coasts. Here's a Klobuchar talking about why impeachment exists. Play six. We literally have a president 
who is using immigrants as political pawns, belittling people who don't agree with him, destroying our democracy with dark money and voter suppression, and allowing a foreign country to make mincemeat of our democracy. And by the way, if you want to know why we have impeachment provisions in the Constitution, look back at what James Madison said at the Constitutional Convention. He said that he feared that a president would betray the trust of Americans for a foreign power. That was the reason he gave, and that is why those proceedings have begun in the House of Representatives. Destroying our democracy with dark money, she says. How? Like what? All these charges, all these 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 phrases that are trotted out, they sound so profound. It's just all sound and fury signifying nothing, my friends. But you already knew that, which is what the Democrat debates tonight will be. Donald Trump in 2016 said he was going to make America great again. And what was Hillary Clinton's response? America is already great. Remember that? And that did not work. That was not the right answer. We have to acknowledge the depth and the severity of the problems that are racking our communities, but then we need real solutions that will actually improve our own lives. Donald Trump got some of the problems right, but his solutions were the opposite of what we need. I'd still tell you, I think Yang, and I know you probably hated what he just said, that's fine, because I think the president has shown us that he does understand some of the solutions, because look what's been going on in the country, look what's been going on with the economy. But Yang and, and Tulsi Gabbard, are uh, people who the Democrats, they cannot accept them. You know why? Because they're reminders that you don't have to be a sanctimonious, shrill, uh, pandering lunatic to be a Democrat. Or maybe that you shouldn't have to be those things to be a Democrat. And the reason that Tulsi and Yang are so upsetting to the Democratic establishment is that they're a reminder of what could be. Tulsi and Yang are both individuals that I disagree with on a whole range of issues, but they seem like decent people who are trying their best and who are willing to listen to the other side, which separates them from the rest of the Democrat crew. Tom's I cannot believe Tom Steyer is going to be on that stage. Just a, a climate change radical. That's what he is. I mean, he is to climate change what. You know, uh, what uh, Al Qaeda is to jihadism. I mean, he is a he is a hardcore believer. Um, And yet he's going to be on that. The guy's worth a billion dollars. I don't know what to say. You know, he's got plenty of money to buy books and actually read them. But he'd rather just talk about how we're going to save the world from CO2. Uh, You have uh, Cory Booker, who is at this point, I think he's really playing for a VP slot. Um. The media loves him. There's all this. There's always this very fawning support from the media about about him. But it just it never really translates. Uh, Kamala Harris totally underperforming in this election cycle. Yang is beating her in California, her home state. Bernie just had a heart attack, folks. So, well, you know, he's he's not up for this. He's too old. He's not up for this. I'm sorry. I know we're. I, you know, we're supposed to think Bernie's this cuddly fellow and it's all going to be fine and he's a cuddly commie and it's going to take the money from the, the rich people, give it to the poor people. And when the rich people have enough money, the poor people can know that they can have money too. And 97% tax rate, that's not that high. The billionaires can, you know, the whole thing, right? We, we know his whole, sh- his whole shtick, uh, the whole spiel. It's just, it's not going to work. 
And then you have uh, Biden. Biden running around trying to convince people that he's not part of really a world-class grifter scheme with his son. Uh, not quite at Clintonian levels, but it's still it's still certainly uh, high. And you know, the problem with Biden is people ask the question, why? And there's never a good answer. Why Joe Biden? Because he's not Donald Trump. That's not enough. Not even for crazy Democrats, really. Well, for some of them, but not all of them. Elizabeth Warren. Well, you know, she was a she was a school teacher in the Midwest. And then she became a professor of law at Harvard University. And you know what needs to happen in this country? We need we need the the big money in politics to just go away. You think to yourself, this is it's like America is being hectored and lectured by a really annoying kindergarten teacher all the time or, or a librarian who's just no talking in the library. It makes it a really bad environment for studying. Uh, then we got Yang, who I, I, I don't make fun of Yang because Yang's cool. I think Yang's all right. I don't, I don't really have a, I don't like his ideas on policy for the most part. I think that the universal basic income is a terrible idea. That would just be, uh, it would just result in 51% of the country voting themselves more universal basic income all the time, which is not going to be good. Uh, not going to be good for anybody. Then you know what I think about Beto, who is the worst. The worst of all of the candidates right now is Beto O'Rourke. And then you got um, Klobuchar. I have to work on my Klobuchar. She kind of sounds like this. She's from a Midwest state, and the Democrats need her support. Uh, and then, oh, and Castro's still in the mix. I didn't even realize that. Castro, perhaps most famous for his suggestion that taxpayers fund the transgender, sir, I'm sorry, fund the abortions of transgender illegal aliens. Thank you for that contribution to public discourse, Julian Castro. Thank you. Uh, that's your Democrat field tonight, folks. So uh, as you are listening to this, you may be a bit ahead of the debate or it might be a bit after. Definitely worth uh, watching the Buckster do his tweet thing during the uh, during the debates. That'll be fun for sure. So you can check that out. And I think that uh, if you're asking if I'm asking for it's fun to throw predictions out there because if I'm wrong, we'll just forget about it. But if I'm right, I'll play it back for you on the air. I think you're going to see uh, Klobuchar have a good night. And no matter what happens, the media is going to say the standout is Elizabeth Warren. Oh, gosh. Am I really going to be the next president of the United States? Yeah, maybe, folks. Maybe. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Section. I will kick off the roll call tonight. Uh, we also have uh, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want our email address. That is how we roll. John 
kicking it off tonight. Hey, Buck, got a story. Might want to look into reporting on fake news. It should be breaking everywhere. But it's barely getting any traction with the mainstream media. I'm not surprised. Over the weekend, ABC got caught red-handed when they claimed they mistakenly aired a video at a machine gun range in Kentucky saying it was from the Turkish offensive in Syria. They even called it Slaughter in Syria. The clip aired multiple on multiple ABC shows before ABC pulled the video. The machine gun range is called Knob Creek. If you have any questions, please let me know. Keep up the good work. Shields high, John. Well, John, thank you, my man. As you probably know at this point, we did talk about that on the show. And I even told you why I think, yeah, it was a mistake. They didn't mean for it to happen. But the climate for such an egregious error to happen is enabled by the desire to run with any story that is damaging to Trump as quickly as possible. No need for fact checking. No need for diving into it beyond that. Michael. Um, hold on, let's go. Tim. Tim, sorry. Michael's didn't come up on the screen here. Buck, your warrant is getting pretty good, but you need to add the annoying wavering that she has in her voice. For Trudeau, just take your current warrant, drop it an octave, and throw in some Canadian pronunciations. Uh, hmm. Do Trudeau by doing Warren, but lower octave and Canadian pronunciations. That, that might be... That might be closer than what we do right now for Trudeau, which is a fake accent for him because he does not sound this cool at all. But I like it nonetheless. Maybe we should say that I am uh, Justin Trudeau's brother, Jean-Pierre Trudeau, the true power behind the, the throne in Canada. You know, we have to create just some random character so I can keep doing my stupid French accent. That might be kind of fun. Monsieur Trudeau, it's time for you to go. You should not be the Prime Minister of Canada because... Singing in an accent, really? I mean, we could probably do like a whole holiday special. It's like you're taking everything people complain about and you're putting it into one. Jingle bells, Trudeau oh, smells. Geez. Oh, we do this all day. That's what we'll be doing uh, for the holidays <laughs> when we take off. A special Buck Sings the Holiday Hits calendar via, via Elizabeth Ward. Have a holly jolly Christmas. I could do it. We could we could make the Bernie. Oh, we got Bernie Sanders. Uh, sleigh bells ringing no, no. in the air. You know, Bernie Sanders would sing dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Producer Mark. What well, he would? Oh yes, I forgot. He's about Jewish. It. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. yeah. All right, Kristen is next here. Um, I heard you say today. That uh, the day for Pluto, but you didn't give the name of the channel. 248 is the channel. 248 is the channel on Pluto TV. Um, there we go. Please do check it out, folks. It's fun. By the way, it's not, you know, you should watch the first, first and foremost, which is our new channel on Pluto. But, uh, you know, there's there's like lots of stuff on Pluto. So it's a great app to have. And your number one destination on the Pluto TV app should be the first. Me and my man, Jesse Kelly, other fantastic people are soon going to join the first revolution on uh, on Pluto TV. But we cannot name them quite yet. But they will be fantastic. We have we have all the we're get, we are actually bringing on all the best people, all the best people. Don't worry about what Trump says about the best people. We're bringing on the best people. 
Um, Mark writes, Buck, happy Columbus Day. Oh, wait, there's a push to be rid of Columbus. Be careful what one wishes for. Does that mean no more Columbus Day parades or Columbus Day sales? Can't really change to another name because without Columbus, it would just be another day. Yeah, well, they're trying to say that it should be Indigenous Peoples Day. So I don't think that's going to catch on um, because it's the day that, right, it's the day it was picked for Columbus. So I don't think that no one's, anyone's going to be on board really for switching that over, at least not necessarily. And uh, there were people that were throwing paint, red paint on Columbus statues. I forget where that happened. It's so stupid. Um, you know, we should all just understand that Every single culture and every religious group and every ethnicity uh, judged by the standards of today in the 15th century would have been xenophobic, racist, bigoted and evil. Okay, everybody everywhere. There was no like tolerant by the standards of today. There was no tolerant culture. There was no, you know, multiculturalism and diversity. These things you had absolutist tribalism, religious wars. I mean, this is what was going on. So. Why are we just going to this is why I brought up what was going on in, in the new world before it became the new world. You had Native American tribes warring against each other, taking over other tribes, enslaving other tribes, murdering each other. I mean, this is human history, folks, everywhere. So why do we pretend that, you know, oh, we can't celebrate this culture or this individual because bad things happened? You know, look, look at this stuff. I mean, Muhammad was a warlord. Does that mean that? Islam is now completely, uh, you know, beyond the pale for any of us to talk about. I'm just I'm asking, I mean, why is why is that OK? Muhammad was, uh, you know, had there were captives of the. Uh, of the earliest Islamic uh, tribe, the Islamic faith who were murdered. I mean, all kinds. Anyway, you know, we could talk about this stuff all day, but I'm in roll call and I'm getting fired up late in the show. Wayne. Buck, thank you for your incisive analysis of politics. I need to ask you, have you heard Dana Lash's Elizabeth Warren? Um, it's re- it's the best. I mean, I'm going to have to hear it because I don't know if it's better than mine. I'm just going to, you know, and I love, I love Dana Lash. But is her Elizabeth Warren better than mine? That is a question for the ages. We will have to see. Have you heard her Elizabeth Warren? You look like you're moving over here to tell me you have. No, just doing work. Oh, you're just working, yeah. keeping the show on the air. Yeah, that, doing that thing I do. Please keep doing that. Yes, it's helpful when we have the show that is still in the air. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe Dana and I can have a, a, a Warren off. Well, Dana, I would like to challenge you to a Warren versus Warren. I'll have to invite her on the show just for that. Yeah, we might have we might, we might have a conversation in in uh, in Warren. Warrenese, Warrenism. We could do that. Uh, let's see. We've Douglas writing, Buck, why isn't the renaming of Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day a prime example of cultural appropriation? Douglas, the answer to your question is that it is impossible, according to the social justice left, for uh, Western, for, for people to appropriate Western European culture. Uh, appropriation is a one-way thing that can only happen when people who are in a position of power over another people take their stuff. That's what they would say. The same way that there are many people on the left who now argue that racism is only possible 
when a group that generally or systematically dominates another group engages in negative behaviors toward that group, but a a group that is, uh, in terms of uh, intersectional dynamics, the the oppressed cannot be the oppressor. Um, which is also, by the way, nonsense, but nonetheless, this is what people say. I'm just telling you what they say. Just telling you what's going on. Uh, hey, Buck, uh, Tom P. here. Love your bro- uh, your posts and your broadcast appearances. Keep up the good work. Well, Tom P., thank you so much, my man. I appreciate it. Give the family my warm regards, and uh, I appreciate the, the kind thoughts about what we're doing here in the show. Irene, very good assessments of Biden, Biden Jr. It drives me crazy that the dim Democrats cannot see the hypocrisy. All right. I am with you on that one. Faux show. Alan. Hey, Buck, why aren't the famous people who were on the board of directors of Theranos being talked about since they were not qualified to understand what Theranos was doing. They were just as guilty as Biden's son of not having the qualifications. I'm guessing there are a lot of people on Theranos board that have no qualifications outside their contacts. Well, Alan, I mean, I think you can make the argument that a secretary of state gives or former secretary of state gives a certain degree of gravitas and also uh, useful business connections and perhaps even strategic insight. You could argue those things. But that's different. That's a different situation than uh, what Hunter Biden would be, which is just a guy who's related to a guy who's one who's all those you could argue is, are all those things. But, yeah, company boards. Look, there are ways that people pay people off without doing the bag of cash under the table. And board seats is a very good way to do it. By the way, there is a sketchy Ukrainian company out there that's looking for uh, somebody to sit on the board for 50K a month. Buck Sexton is fantastic option. Fantastic option for the board seat. Talk to you tomorrow, team. Shields high.